Blog Talk Radio. I can't call you. I can't talk to you now. Can I call you back in a little while? Uh, hi, everybody. Larry Simon, Dr. Simon. The show is the stories we live by. And I got this call on myself just as uh, we started, and uh, it distracted me for a minute. I hope I'm going to have an interesting show today. Uh, certainly, the topic is in the news. Um, Another Republican, this time a Republican senator, uh, South Carolina Sanford, one of the uh, morally upright, apparently disappeared for five days or so, and he was in Argentina with his girlfriend. And um, uh, (laughs) uh, his wife didn't know anything about it. His four kids didn't know anything about it. Who knows what they knew or didn't know. Uh, And the state was left to run by itself. And now he came back, and he's sorry. He's full of contrition. And I I thought this would be an interesting thing to analyze, particularly because this seems to always be in the news, particularly late, and particularly at this point in history, the Republicans, um, Enright this week, last week, Larry Craig, Vitter, Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the senator from Florida, where I live, who last year uh, was disgraced uh, because he was uh, doing hanky-panky with the pages that worked for his uh, Senate office, if I remember correctly, mail pages. And I thought I would discuss this, but other than calling these people hypocrites because uh, they... they, uh, belong to the Republican Party, which Kevin Phillips, very fine author in, in um, a wonderful book called American Theocracy, says the Republican Party is the first religious party uh, and these, uh, in American history. And these guys all uh, speak for God and tell us how we're supposed to behave in our bedrooms and sexually. Uh, we're supposed to be all, as they see it, morally upright, and one after another, uh, they don't seem to do as, as uh, they want us to do, which makes them hypocrites. The problem is, and if you've been following my show, you know that the word hypocrite is merely a label, and it doesn't explain anything. And I would like to try and explain these guys' behavior, and I won't do a great job of it because I've never met them. I have no chance to really examine what their motives actually are, but I can conjecture, and I want to broaden the discussion uh, so that it's not just about them. And unfortunately, so much of the reporting today, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later, is like gossip. Uh, there really is no great analysis uh, or decent analysis. And even stations like PBS, where I watch at 6 o'clock in the evening, if I can, uh, the news report, Jim Lehrer's news report, uh, where there is analysis, where they bring experts on to analyze these situations, uh, it doesn't really get into uh, an analysis of the behavior of these powerful individuals and why they might be doing what they're doing. Um, it's sort of we get fixed on it, uh, and I think what they're doing is, is, you know, from one point of view, it's very humorous. Another point of view, it's really dangerous because they are role models uh, for people. Uh, for for the next generation, uh, and what they 
keep telling us is that we can't trust our politicians any more than we can throw them. And uh, we need leadership. Uh, I don't know where the leadership is supposed to come from, but certainly uh, we need leadership. And uh, they're helping uh, destroy the Republican Party. Uh, and I'll get into that, you know, this whole business of, of uh, uh, what I think some of their motives are uh, politically. Um, and, and we need leadership, and I think we need a second party. I, I don't think uh, uh, I, uh, Obama and the Democrats should rule uh, while these guys keep destroying themselves and their party because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and we see this over and over again. Uh, we need a loyal opposition. We need debate. We need discussion. We need a clash of stories. Uh, otherwise, those in power... Uh, dominate with their story, and uh, nothing good comes of it. Rarely does anything good come of it. So what I want to do, uh, first of all, is say that if you study a little history, there's nothing new in senators and congressmen and people in power uh, having uh, a sexual liaisons and getting caught with it. Um, it goes way back. Uh, I'm not sure how many of our presidents had mistresses, but I would wager a lot of them. And the same true of senators and many congressmen, uh, captains of industry, uh, people in power and people of wealth um, uh, find it very easy, particularly if they travel, if they, if they move around a lot. They find it very easy to be able to uh, have mistresses and get away with things because when you're away from home, um, uh, it's 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 uh, not not that difficult, uh, and I'll explain why. To these particular people, it's not only not difficult, but just damn pretty damn easy. Um, the the Roosevelt we know after the fact had a mistress. Uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, the great general and president, uh, had an affair while he was overseas with with one of his aides. Um, uh, of course, in more recent years, Clinton. Um, I mean, his sexual behavior, his imbroglios uh, are now legendary. Uh, so there's nothing new. Um, I, I should mention uh, uh, Gary Hart. Gary Hart, I don't even remember what year. Gary Hart was a very attractive candidate for president, the Democrats. And uh, it turns out he was having an affair with a beautiful woman named Donna Rice, a young woman. Um, as usual, most of these women are much younger than the men that uh, they're having the affair with. Um, and uh, he almost dared the press to find out about it, which, of course, they did. And uh, that destroyed his, his career um, uh, and any chance for president. Uh, he was a senator and a uh, very attractive candidate, good-looking man. Um, and, and so there's nothing new. Of course, with the Republicans, it's a little bit different, the modern Republican Party. Uh, because they have just uh, become this business of they're the, the upholders of family values uh, and have become so unbelievably stuffy and arrogant about uh, taking these absolute moral stands about things and then bringing God into the whole thing. Uh, so uh, it's not that there's anything new about this, uh, although the obnoxiousness uh, in present time seems to be, uh, for me anyway, in my own personal opinion, kind of heightened. Uh, although I was terribly upset with Bill Clinton. I mean, he's a role model. He's the president of the United States. 
he should not have been talking to another senator on the telephone while a woman, a young woman, a very young woman, his aide, uh, an intern actually, uh, was under the desk uh, performing oral sex on him. Uh, There's something uh, uh, comical and gross about that. In any event, I wanted to broaden the discussion and talk about this from the point of view of evolutionary psychology. And here, I hope you'll forgive me. I hope you'll find it interesting. But I have to be a little professorial. And so I'm going to talk about this whole thing about uh, uh, the idea of modern evolutionary psychology. And again, let me criticize it before I even present the ideas, because like all people who present ideas, these people uh, seem to insist that their idea is the idea and really can explain uh, so much of human behavior, which many of us feel uh, as valuable as these ideas are, as useful as these ideas are, as attractive as the story is that it tells, um, push it beyond the point at which uh, it's useful. It becomes uh, a caricature of itself. Um, the more, if you want to read a wonderful book about this, and it's not very difficult to read, uh, Richard Dawkins, who's a modern evolutionary uh, evolutionist, has written a book called The Selfish Gene. And of course, genes are not selfish in the sense that a person is, 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 is uh, uh, selfish, but the gene has only one function, and that's to be propagated. It's to get into the next generation. And what Dawkins and many other psychologists, uh, he's a biologist, but biologists and psychologists who accept this, and by the way, this is very high on the list of stories that sits behind my own ideas and my, and my own notion to explain human behavior, my own and anybody else's. Uh, uh, and as much as you know from my previous shows how important I think a childhood is and social relationships uh, and, and the politics of human relationships, I think sitting behind all of that uh, and explaining so much of it is the idea of the selfish gene. And what the selfish gene theory says is that we're not aware of how powerful uh, our genetic inheritance is in shaping our behavior. And uh, people hate this theory. Many people hate this theory. And the more they hate it, the, the more evidence it provides as to its veracity, its, its truth, its, its usefulness. Our God, job is to put our genes into the next generation. And to do this, we have to grow up, we have to stay alive, uh, we have to engage in a whole variety of behaviors, many of which then make sense from the point of view of gene theory. Right? We are a package uh, our brains have modules in them that get excited by some things and interested in some things and obnoxious. One 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 one. Hello, hello. Hey, Larry. Oh, how you doing, it's Barry? Barry? Good, yeah. good. What kind of a, a, a number is one 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 one? Uh, I have no idea, but I'm calling in on my Skype account because my DSL line is not yet installed. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna. Have you heard from the beginning? No. Oh, I have I was, not. I just. I was talking about evolutionary theory, and using it to try to explain the the um, 
behavior of guys like Sanford uh, or Clinton, these powerful men who uh, are, are get involved with younger, prettier women. And uh, in the case of these senators, the recent the Republicans who are always telling us how to live our lives, particularly in the bedroom, uh, they're not exactly behaving as, as they're supposed to behave according to their own, uh, their own dictates. Uh, in any event, I was getting involved with Richard Dawkins' idea that basically what we are as a human being, or at least what's a part of our essence, is as a deliverer of our genes into the next generation. Uh, if, the, if we don't deliver our genes, our family name disappears, and if enough of us as a, a species don't deliver our genes into the next generation, why then um, the species disappears? And by the way, I don't see evolutionary evolution and Darwin's theory as a theory, really. I see it as a fact. And, and I understand why so many people despise the theory. Um, they despise the theory. The same people who despise that theory despise Marx. They despise uh, Freud. Um, uh, it's interesting. Just a side story. I'm, I'm drifting, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, if I don't finish today my story, I'll delay next week's story about genius and madness into the following week, and I'll continue this, this particular topic. because I, this, it, it got me sort of excited to talk about this. Um, when Primo Levi, who is an uh, Israeli writer, was being beaten up and tortured in the uh, prison camps of Argentina during the years of the dictatorship down there. I guess it was the 70s or the 80s. I don't quite remember. Time seems to lose. I lose time. Uh, and one of the, the uh, majors or the generals came in and said, you know why we hate you Jews? You're always upsetting our view of the world. Uh, Marx upset our view of uh, economics. And uh, Einstein upset our view of the universe, and Freud upset our view, our view of people. Um, apparently, he didn't know that Darwin was half Jewish. Uh, so he could have added, we hate Darwin too, uh, because of all the theories that have upset the, the, the middle age, the, the, the view of humanity in the middle, as it existed in the Middle Ages, that the earth was the center of the universe, and we had these perfect souls that had been put in by the God who created that universe, um, uh, Darwin was the most one to upset it. And this theory is very upsetting to many people because what it says is that most of the time we act out a biological message, if you will, and this biological message determines enormous amounts of our behavior. Let me go through just a couple of them. For example, human beings love fat the taste of fats more than anything else, fats and sweets. Why? Say the evolutionists, uh, during the hunter-gatherer phase of human uh, evolution, a million and a half years when we tramped around on the savannas of Africa, and by the way, yes, Africa is our ancestral home, um, when we tramped around on the savannas of Africa and we looked for things to eat, much of our time was spent finding things to eat. And if we happen to bring down an animal, we were lucky because that animal uh, had a lot of fat in it. And one of the things that's good about fat is that there's more calories per unit of fat than anything else. So those individuals with a taste for fat ate lots of fat and ate less of the vegetables and the greens and the things that were picked up off the ground, the grazing food 
that was more plentiful and available, which has uh, in it fewer calories, even though it's nutritionally quite healthy for us. So that those individuals who got most of the fats lived through famine. They put on more weight, and they lived through times of, 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 of uh, starvation. And hence, their genes were put into the next generation. And this is how natural selection, according to Darwin and, and, and evolutionary theory, operates. That which increases the life of individuals tends to get into the next generation because such individuals live to have sex, uh, live to procreate, live long enough. And hence, today, we have a taste for fats. The fact that our ancestors on the savannas of Africa probably lived 25 or 30 years at most before they died of disease or animal bite or, or, or pestilence or, or rotted teeth um, uh, has changed. We now live into our 70s, our 80s, and our 90s. And hence, the diet we want to live and, and eat lots of protein and fat from our Big Macs and our French fried potatoes is not exactly the kind of diet that allows us to remain healthy at this point. So that's one example of how evolutionary theory works. Um, uh, there's all kinds of other examples, but uh, uh, one I want to talk about is to do about sex. Sex, obviously, is a very powerful need, and the reason it feels so good, according to evolutionists, to have sex is that we're rewarded for carrying on the next generation. So it's not when we have sex that we're looking necessarily to procreate. Not necessary at all. What we're looking for is the good feelings and the good fun that this is providing us. And also the tendency to mate or bond and have a long relationship with those with whom we have sex. It's very easy to like those who give you tremendous pleasure and, and to whom you give pleasure. And why is this adaptive? Because when a male gets a female pregnant, uh, there's an asymmetry, there, there's an imbalance in the way things work once she becomes pregnant. And I have to talk about that. For the evolutionist, uh, I should add, though, that a long relationship in which the male takes care of the female through her pregnancy and through the rearing of the child early on becomes a very powerful incentive for that child to survive and grow up and carry on the the procreation of the family name or the or the tribe or the or the country or the the species the whole species. Well, what goes on now is this an asymmetry. For the male, sex is what's called the cheap act. Cheap is not in the sense here that it's a a, a cheap. You know, you, you don't you don't leave tips for uh, the waiter in the restaurant. Cheap means that for a man to have sex, uh, it costs very little. It's very pleasurable. It tends to be fairly short. Uh, he loses some energy, which is easily recouped and goes on his way. And the more a male has sex with as many females as possible, the more he puts his gene into as many females, because what he is is a gene delivery system from the point of view of looking at ourselves as a, a gene uh, delivery system, that the selfish gene wants to stay alive. Now, I love this idea. Okay? 
Now, let me say this is very important, because like fats, the fact that evolution wants us to do this doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong. We have to create morals about this based upon other considerations or a variety of other considerations, such as loyalty, such as, as uh, not betraying our partner. There's all kinds of other issues that get involved in determining whether something is right or something is wrong. Certainly, a female who doesn't want to receive the package of a male uh, should have a right to say so, in my point of view, because a human being is a human being and should have the right to say no as well as the right to say yes. So the issue of right or wrong is not here. I know there are people who say, well, see, men are, are naturally polygamous and therefore they use it to justify the behavior of, of a male who goes around from female to female or cheats on his spouse. So to believe that the tendency is there is one thing, but to say it's right and justify it by evolution is something completely different. Similarly, uh, if somebody really attacks me uh, or hurts me, particularly even psychologically, my tendency is as a human being is to want to hurt them back and maybe even kill them, stop them from doing well, that doesn't mean I have the moral right to do so if we decide that such a moral right doesn't exist. Okay? So what we have is, is not an issue of right or wrong, and this can't be used to justify behavior. For the female, sex is not a cheap act. It's a very costly act. When a woman becomes pregnant, her ability to hunt for herself, for fend for herself is reduced, and indeed particularly before modern medicine, but even still today, uh, her life is in jeopardy. Uh, one of the leading causes of death uh, not too many years ago uh, were problems, complications around pregnancy and complications around delivery. And when a woman uh, gives birth, if she is bonded to her child, and uh, the modules in our head say, uh, that that is going to take place with a wide variety, a great majority of women, uh, she needs protecting. So therefore, the woman's choice of a partner tends to be different than the man's choice of a partner. The man's choice of a partner is usually, but not always, not exclusively, the look of the female. Is she attractive? And what's so fascinating to me about reading about what is the basis of attraction, it's usually a woman who is young in her full childbearing age and a woman who is healthy. Apparently, what we see as pretty or handsome in people tends to be with youth and health. Health looks good to us because from the gene-eye point of view, we don't want to put our precious gene into a receptacle, into another person, into a place where it's not going to have the best chance to survive. Doesn't that make sense? Barry? What do you think, Barry? You there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I had my um, mic on mute, so I didn't interfere. Yeah, it sounds very logical. Very logical, see? And that's part of the problem, because it's so logical. There's something very compelling about this particular story. Now, when men look for women, it's usually young, um, very often a virgin, 
Uh, I don't have to tell you how many societies, including our own, put a big premium on virginity. And I thought for a long time, I never saw anything. Why virginity? And then it dawned on me from an evolutionary point of view, because a man will never know if he's been cuckolded. And he wants to make sure that when that woman gives birth, he is the father of that child. And so uh, the woman being faithful to the man is usually for most men a much higher premium than he being faithful to her. And indeed, women tend to forgive men for philandering a hell of a lot more than men forgive women. And in many parts of the world, many parts of the Muslim world, a woman who philanders, a woman who is even raped, can be put to death uh, by her own family, by her brother or her father, because she's soiled. She is now, there's no, you know, the possibility uh, of how the, the loss of virginity takes on a monumental kind of moral uh, issue. But what do women look for? Women look for those males who have something to offer them, okay? And, and very often the offer has to be made by the male. Uh, you have to take somebody out for dinner before they say yes. And before they get married, you've got to give them an expensive diamond ring in many cases. And you have to uh, uh, set up a home um, so that the male who is powerful, as well as good-looking, by the way, tall men and muscled men do much better in bed, uh, in general, than men who are uh, wimpy and short and, 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 and skinny and small. Um, um, uh, you know, again, even today, a short man has a lot of problems becoming president. Tall men are perceived as more manly and more vigorous, and from the genes' point of view, therefore, uh, a better biological prospect or a healthier prospect for whatever we need this male for. And that includes leadership. Uh, so men who are tall and powerful and have real status in society uh, draw women like flies to honey. And this brings us to the politicians and many of the movie stars and people who are icons of our society or any society. Uh, they don't have a problem getting hooked up. Uh, any uh, good rock and roll singer will tell you, any entertainer, that women throw their underpants and their keys to them as they come by. Uh, one of the big scandals of recent years was uh, when I was in New York, the former senator, former governor. Uh, what was the, you know, I'm losing names faster than I could find them. Um, Spitzer, Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer was an absolute presidential contender and a big moralist when it came to business, he wasn't particularly moralistic about who people had sex with, like the Republicans at, of, of, of modern ilk, but he was certainly uh, very moral in the way people uh, made their money, and he went after businesses that were uh, crooked. Uh, and he had a young woman on the side, um, and this brought down his career. Uh, certainly, he will not be a president of the United States, and uh, he was a popular governor. He was much admired, tall, good-looking, wealthy. Uh, and apparently the woman he met, uh, he walked past her in a hotel lobby, and she told him how hot he was, uh, and he just uh, couldn't resist. The genes cried out, well, here's, here's a package we could deliver. <laughs> and I don't mean to be diminishing it, but uh, evolutionary theory says that this kind of temptation in this kind of situation 
is something a tall, good-looking, powerful man would be hard to resist. And his beautiful woman, uh, uh, who then turned out to be a prostitute, uh, and he paid $5,000 an hour to. My goodness, $5,000 an hour for sex. Uh, that must have been some hot potato. Uh, $5,000 an hour. Incredible. But uh, it was worth it to him. And the genes in this theory are laughing and laughing and laughing. Uh, and the joke is on all of us. So one after another, these politicians or powerful people uh, have sex. Uh, Kennedy, who was my favorite uh, president, uh, the first, I couldn't vote for Kennedy. Actually, in 1960, I was 20 years old, and many of you uh, weren't born then. I guess the most of you weren't. And I couldn't vote in 1960. You had to be 21. And the law was changed after Kennedy was president, became president, um, to let make 18-year-olds, allow 18-year-olds to vote. And that was very frustrating, and I was terribly upset, as were many people, when Kennedy was assassinated. And again, we couldn't believe a man of this power, of this stature, could be brought down by some little schlep with a, with a, uh, a powerful gun uh, in a book depository, Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, which led to, uh, from an evolutionary theory point of view, all the conspiracy theories. How could a little nothing bring down the greatest man, you know, the most powerful man in the world, the President of the United States? There must have been more force. There had to be something else behind this. Otherwise, it couldn't have been done. Uh, Kennedy himself used to say all the time, if somebody really wants to kill you, they'll find a way. And that was a line that ultimately found its way into the movie The Godfather, where Michael Corleone says, if there's one thing we've learned from Kennedy... Uh, his assassination, is that nobody is safe if we make up our mind. Somebody makes up their mind to kill him. Uh, anyway, to go back to uh, this, this uh, kind of a, uh, uh, a story. Kennedy had orgies in the White House pool. What's interesting is back then, Kennedy, Eisenhower, Roosevelt, all of these individuals had affairs uh, the press knew about it, but didn't report it. It was believed then your sex life was private. It was personal. And if an individual was making, uh, was good as a politician, if they were doing their job as they were supposed to, there was no reason to bring their private life, their personal life into it. That changed with Gary Hart, who I mentioned before. Um, what I believe, again, this is just my own observations as, as the curmudgeon that I am, is that the press at one time uh, considered themselves people in the news business, and today most of them are, um, uh, are uh, 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 entertainers. And uh, they see themselves as part of the entertainment industry. And so gossip and entertaining people uh, with the personal lives, you know, their personal lives is very high on the list. And this, the Republicans, and again, I have to blame the Republicans for this because I don't see the Democrats having done this. This whole business where they're, they're the, you know, the moral majority and they're the keepers of American morals, um, the idea that your personal life, your sexual life, uh, is, is part of what makes you a good citizen or a bad citizen, uh, this has become so much and so sadly a part of our modern political system. And hence, 
reporters now dig for any kind of sexual dirt that they could possibly find. And it's reported instantaneously all over the world, especially now when you have uh, all of the technological devices that we have uh, uh, to bring information to people. And so here we are. And how do I explain their behavior? I think I've explained a lot of the behavior. Uh, I still want to finish up with a little more discussion of these particular people like uh, Sanford in South Carolina. Um, why do they say one thing and do the other? Well, I understand the having of sex and getting away with it. I understand the urge to do this. I do. Um, but why don't they keep to the morals they proclaim that uh, they want us all to have and that they hold for themselves? Uh, and one after another, they're disgraced. Uh, and then, you know, beg forgiveness. And uh, I love it when a guy like Sanford says, God will forgive him. Uh, I don't know. Let God forgive him. I hope the voters don't. Uh, we don't need people like this. I think they're tremendously damaging to our society. Why do they do it? Well, either because, see, the, uh, they, they think they can get away with it, or because they never believe it in the first place. It's a convenience uh, that these are very cynical, cynical individuals, all of these politicians. And they know what people want to hear. Uh, and again, I have to say, we have to grow up uh, as, a, as a public. We have to become, I think, a bit more sophisticated about our ideas of right or wrong, and particularly about sex. Uh, I like the French uh, who uh, have, you know, the, the French uh, premier has a, as a mistress, uh, he has children with her. Everybody knows about it. And as long as he doesn't flaunt it, uh, it gets, you know, it, it's just this is his private business, and that's what he does. Uh, Americans tend to be puritanical, and this, this hardcore of individuals who believe that, uh, you know, this, this vengeful God sends us all to hell unless we're, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexually uh, monogamous and loyal um, this kind of thing I think we have to start grow out of, which doesn't mean I believe we should all have uh, a cheat on our mates. I don't believe that at all. I believe in being faithful to my, my mate, to my wife. Uh, I could see that as a betrayal of her. I would see her doing this to me as a betrayal of me. But uh, my thoughts, my desires, they're my own, and I can't tolerate the idea that somebody in public life should be telling us how we should live our lives or work out our relationships with our mates. Uh, over the years, I've known many, many couples who've had open relationships, who decided um, to continually have affairs on their own as long as they uh, were discreet about it. And they did this thing, and it was agreed to both of them, uh, by both of them. Uh, I know somebody with a 50-year marriage, where for most of the marriage, the idea of monogamy was, was silly to both of them. Uh, and this is how they live their life. And, and uh, if that's what they choose to do, I think we should be grown up and say, that's what you do. Uh, good for them, not good for me. What these politicians tend to do uh, is be role models. It's not merely what they say. Uh, it's what they do. And children are always watching what adults do and tending to ignore what they say. And so this whole business 
of, of lying to the public says that lying is all right and that cheating is all right, uh, except if you get caught. If you don't get caught, uh, that's fine. But if you do get caught, that's the problem. Not that you did it, not that you broke your trust, not that you betrayed the public that voted for you, um, uh, who I don't think should have voted for them in the first place, but any event, uh, that becomes a real problem. Who can we trust in public life? Uh, and, and uh, you know, one of the ways to get rid of, of the problem with drugs is to legalize the drugs. Another way is to say to these individuals, stop telling us about uh, your morals and how moral you are and how we should be moral like you when it comes to sex. Give it up. That's your business. Do what you want. Then we won't feel betrayed by them. Okay? Let them do what they want as long as they govern properly, as long as they're, they're not, you know, not dishonest. Uh, what we have now is an erosion of faith in public figures that is horrendous. I don't know about anybody else, uh, Barry, did you hear that Bernie Madoff was given 150 years in prison? He'll be 221 when he gets out. Uh, I was delighted he got the full maximum that he'll never get out of prison. Uh, yeah, he got he got exactly what he deserved. He deserved. I mean, uh, to, to, to steal from charities. To, you know, to steal millions to, from charities. My wife belongs to Hadassah, which yeah. is the uh, Zionist. Ninety million dollars he stole. He was on the board. Oh, actually, the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That was the biggest punishment: is taking all of the money away from his wife and kids who also don't deserve it. Yes. I. I. By the way, nothing will convince me they didn't know. Yeah, they knew. Yeah, you know, you, 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 my wife signs my income tax form every year. So, you know, we have a joint return. She knows where the money is. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you could live with somebody uh, and not get caught if you're lying. It's like, you know, you know I, could, I, could, I could kind of understand that maybe his wife did not know, but I think since the kids were involved in the business, the business um, they yeah, they know. And, they and, know. and the law should go after that whole family. Let them live in a tent in the woods. Uh, not seven I million think they dollars. should be in a cell next to him. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. But all of this uh, creates such a terrible cynicism in the citizenry and particularly in the young. And, uh, you know, I went to a concert yesterday, and uh, it was a July 4th concert, music of uh, Aaron Copeland and George Gershwin at one of the un local universities. So it's a terrific concert. And it was all over. We stood and we sang, God Bless America. And everybody sang on the top of their lungs with this orchestra, God Bless America, and meant it. And uh, I hate to see the country I love that nurtures all of us to the degree that it does uh, become so cynical and, and, and be led by people who are just beneath contempt uh, for how they behave. In any event, that's it. I think I've done what I wanted to do today. Well, I I have uh, a couple issues we could talk about. We have five One minutes. Let's go. Okay. Um, I take a little exception to some of the comments about the uh, the Republicans exactly as a as a as a group, but I think the problem has become is that. Politics and and religion um, were 
are not supposed to be mixed and they've in gotten America. mixed in America. Yes. And, you know, I, I think what everybody forgets is that when you have situations that are uh, like Bill Clinton or um, any of these other people who have had affairs, when I was in the Navy, one of the things that you had to be aware of is when you get a top secret clearance is the ability for the the enemy to gather information and blackmail and one of the and one of the ways is blackmail yes and and since we live in a country where an affair is looked down upon no matter whether it's you or anyone else it's just most people feel that it's not right whether they're religious or not religious right. I agree with that. Um, I think that the, the, real, the real devastation happens if, say, for instance, Bill Clinton is in the White House and the Russians found out about his affair, uh, the implications of that on him and, and having him he would not normally do. That's, to me, that's where the real problem is when you get into politics. Right. By you the know, way, my, what I said was what I truly believe is that you can only be blackmailed if the secret has to be kept. The fact of the matter is, I don't give a damn who has an affair. And if it's open, if you, you know the guy's having an affair, you can't blackmail him. Who's going to blackmail him? Right, exactly. You see? Right, but, but the issue right, but, is this whole business, this puritanical business of we're all outraged, like little children, when we find out that people have affairs. Uh, there was a number of studies over the years that show more men cheat on their wives than don't. And a very large proportion of women cheat on their husbands. Not as many as men, but a lot. And particularly now because birth control has made sex a cheap an act, as cheap an act for a woman as it is for a man. Mm -hmm. It's a cheap act. has no consequences, except moral consequences if you have to hold a secret. Okay? Right. Um, but no, I, agree. I agree. I, but I, I have, agree. I, I think have to count the business. Lately, it's one Republican after another who has been standing as a bulwark against homosexuality and against, you know, uh, breaking of the family. And it's not that they're having the affair that bothers me anymore. It's this constant business that that party has staked out the idea. Uh, of going into our private lives and saying that politics, religion, and private life mix. And if it's the Democrats are doing the same thing, I'll apologize. I just don't see Well, I, I think a lot of that came about as a result of the law on abortion. You know, and, and that, if you really think about it, I, I think that po politics and, and religion really got mixed with that issue. I agree with and, that. And... Uh, and it started bringing it into the the forefront. I don't, you know, I, I was too young to really think in terms of religion and politics when Kennedy was in office and people like that. But I think it really started getting mixed with the, the abortion issue, and because that is so um, such a, a foundation of religion, uh, it, it's it's hard to keep politics and religion separate when that became an issue for the Supreme Court. Right. And, and the unfortunate thing is that um, 
people need to need to understand that a life is a life and when that gets going you know it's hard to there's many different takes on that but it's it is highly volatile topic for people who are both religious and not religious yeah it's a very highly volatile topic for everybody and i don't know anybody who's for abortion I don't, I don't either, but I, I... But I know a lot of people who are for a woman's right to make a choice, you see. And not all religions see, for example, the fetus right. beyond, before a certain point of its development as a real human being. Right, right. Okay, so that and, becomes, that's, and that's obviously where the, that's where the line is, is right. trying to be drawn as to right. where is the it thing, a human the other being, one where isn't it? It's homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole business of homosexuality. I mean, it, that piece. Forget the abortion for a second, because I totally agree with you. Where the hell did a political party get involved in, in, in saying who should sleep with who? Where did that become an issue? Well, I think, here's, I think that once you started getting the religious right involved in politics, then they said, oh, you know, we should get every all the issues that we disagree with or that we want people to, to accept on, on our behalf into the fray of the political scene. And that, I think, was a mistake. That was a mistake. But, at the but same, you know, by the way, right. it, wasn't, it wasn't the religious right that first got involved with politics. The civil rights movement comes out of the black church. Martin Luther yep. King was a minister. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I think the struggle we have is, is to get religion out of politics entirely right well or or get it out in a way that your own personal religion doesn't become mainstream political platforms i mean that that to me i don't know how you do that but it's been done in most of europe and many parts of the world it's been done uh shall we you i don't know i have to really stop at this point i have some messages okay. from my wife um are we going to do a show wednesday we are we are what time four o'clock Four o'clock, and okay. uh, I sent you, you an email on that. Walking points. Uh, I sent you an email on the topic and wanted to ask you if you how you thought it. about the topic. Okay, send I'll send else. it again. I didn't get it uh, back. Okay. Okay. All right. Then I'm gonna okay. hang. I'll do it. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye.